0: But as you can see in your handouts, the title of the sermon series is Spiritual Maturity. Spiritual Maturity. I know that doesn't sound like a fun subject, but I'm going to tell you in the next few weeks the benefits of being spiritually mature, and I'm going to tell you how easy it is. Let me tell you uh, why this subject is very important to me. Because throughout my uh, career as a pastor, life as a pastor, people come into my life and they pretend like they're super spiritual. And it really annoys me because they're actually very immature. They use spiritual lingo that makes other people feel inferior and not as close to Jesus. And that's not being spiritually mature. Uh, Speaking in tongues is real. Uh, Praying in tongues is real. It's in the Bible. I'm going to teach you about it in the next few months. But the church of Corinth that was speaking in tongues in the Bible was the same church that was filled with sexual immorality. So speaking in tongues does not mean you are spiritually mature. Prophesying, the Bible says, all believers can prophesy. Children can prophesy. Even the gift of prophecy or the gift of pastoring or the gift of uh, evangelism, we know in Jeremiah, God said, I put it inside you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. So wearing diapers, you actually can have a gift of prophecy, evangelism, or pastoring. So that doesn't mean you're spiritually mature because you've been given a gift. Um, people love to, to be in groups and they're sharing what did God say to you or what kind of did you do homework in the short group and they'll say things like this oh I didn't do my homework because for three days straight I was wide awake I just prayed for three days and I felt grumblings in my soul and angels wings were fluttering over my head and I could not move from one place and they say all these things that make them seem like they're so close to Jesus but they're liars You did not pray for three days straight. Nobody does that. You probably had the flu. That was the grumbling in your stomach. You were probably saying, God, heal me. God, heal me. That's probably the only prayer you prayed. And people do this. It's like they're not being real. They're being somebody fake because they want to feel important. They want to feel special. But I'm telling you, it's very easy to be spiritually mature, and you can choose to do this every day. In fact, I'm going to prove to you in the next few weeks the most spiritually mature people are people that are simply members of a church, they happily give, and they joyfully serve. And those three things can set the course for the rest of your life. But a lot of the people that pretend like they're spiritually mature are actually people that are not involved in a church. They float from one church to the other. They try to put themselves in a position where they can be seen or they can be heard or they can feel special in front of everybody. And all that is is pride. Is this a good sermon so far? You're yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish I hadn't come to church today. Um, quoting scripture doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. Remember Nicodemus who memorized five books of the Bible when Jesus said, you're not even born again. You're not even saved and you think you're better than everybody else. Uh, so part one today, I want to talk to you about this, the flesh, uh, the flesh. This is going to be the foundation for our series. The reason it's titled the flesh is because the flesh is the opposite of being spiritual. Uh, Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. I know this sounds like a spiritual scripture. It's not that spiritual once you break it down. But walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the flesh. So the flesh and the Spirit are opposites, okay? So let me teach you this that I've already taught you before, but we are a triune being. We are a three-part being, and I'll show you this um, in the next sermon with Adam and how God created Adam. We're a three-part being. We, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body, okay? Your spirit is who you really are. Uh, your spirit, uh, when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes into your life and quickens your spirit. The Bible says we were dead in our flesh. We were dead in our sins before we got saved. You can I wasn't dead. I'm walking around earth. No, it's not talking about your body. It's talking about your spirit. So once you get saved, the Spirit of God connects to your spirit, quickens it, and that's what takes your soul to heaven, and you get a heavenly body. If you're not saved, your spirit takes your soul to hell and you get a hell body. And I pr- prove that to you biblically as well. So we are a spirit. Everybody say, I am a spirit. I, a spirit. I have a soul. I, have a soul. I, live a I live in a body. Just like this outfit I have on. When I go home today, I'm going to take this, these clothes off. And that, th- th- those clothes aren't me. This isn't me. I'm going to take them off one day. Okay, one day I'm going to take off this body. One day this body is coming off me. I am not this body. I am a spirit. My soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. My soul is my personality. That's what my soul is, okay? So the soul is actually the flesh. In the Bible, when you read about the flesh, it's referring to the soul. So point number one today is this. The flesh is selfish. The flesh is selfish. Before you got saved, before you got saved, your soul was in charge. And your soul said, we're going to do whatever we feel like doing. We're going to think whatever we feel like thinking. And we're going to act however we want to act. We're going to desire things for ourselves to make us feel good, look good, and make sure that everybody thinks we're great. That's what our flesh. And so one day when you got saved, the Spirit of God came into your life and said, whoa, 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 soul. We're not going to live like that anymore. And your flesh said, oh, yes, we are. And your spirit said, oh, no, we're not. We're not going to cuss people out when we feel like it. Wait, that was this one. We're not going to cuss people out when we feel like it and the flesh says, oh just that one guy that gets on my nerves we can cuss him out no we can't the flesh says listen i need another crispy cream donut the spirit says no you've already had six you don't need another one the flesh says if i put it in the microwave a little bit longer i can drink it through a straw <laughs> the spirit says a minute on the lips a lifetime on the hips You better not do it <laughs> i don't know what the spirit says to you but anyway so so, so then, so you got to realize we're in a constant battle. It's a constant battle every day. And I'm going to prove to you, walking in the Spirit's a daily thing. It's not you're going to hear this sermon, leave and be done. It's a daily battle. Jesus is our daily bread. It's a daily battle. Everybody say daily. And so you have this battle going on. And if I was explaining it to a child, I would say it like this. Your soul and your spirit are at war for who is going to control your body. In other words, we have vocal cords, right? Who's going to determine what you say when you're angry? Your flesh or your spirit? Who's going to determine where you go? You know you shouldn't be driving by that bar or you shouldn't be hanging out over here. And that's where your body's going. And the spirit says, no, 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 you can't do that. You know it's not right. Don't, don't go in that direction. Your flesh or your body wants to hang out with a particular person that you know God doesn't want you to be around. Maybe God's got somebody better for you. You think, oh, your flesh says, oh, you can get them saved. If you keep sleeping with them, keep hanging out with them, one day they'll come to Jesus and your spirit says, you idiot, what are you doing? Leave them alone, let God deal with them, and I got somebody better for you. So it's a constant battle every day to see who's in charge of your body. Your soul, which is your flesh, mind, will, and emotions, and the very definition even proves how selfish we are. The mind is what I think. The will is what I want. And the emotions are what I feel. Look how even self, even the word soul means self. Here's what I want. Here's what I think. Here's what I feel. And let me tell you, the people that live that way and, and, are, are, are little kids babies. You never have to teach a baby to be selfish. They are born saying, give me, I want mine. And they are born crying when they don't get their way. Now, a lot of adults still do that today. Like the movie Big with um, Tom Hanks, remember? He's got a 30-year-old body, but he's a 13-year-old on the inside. There's a lot of people like that today. They can't hold down a job because they get offended at somebody. They can't keep a relationship because they're always mad about something. They're living like a child. Um, Here's what I want you to understand today is that God does not care what you want. I know other churches may tell you something different. God doesn't care what you want. He doesn't care what you feel. And he doesn't care what you think. Do you know why? Because the way he feels about you and your circumstances and your situation is so much better than how you feel about him. He wants to put his feelings inside of you so you can feel the way he does. The way you think about these people in your life is so much worse than what God thinks about these people in your life. So he wants you to think like him, feel like him, and desire what he desires for you. Do you know what God desires for you is better than what you desire for yourself? I know that it's crazy for us to think that God could be smarter than us. I know that blows our mind, but what God wants for you is so much healthier and better than even what you want for yourself so every day we have this battle am i going to desire what god desires for me or am i going to desire what my flesh desires for me romans eight thirteen says if the flesh is your dictator you'll die and let me just remind you what a dictator is a dictator is you don't get a vote a dictator says you better do this and the only way to get rid of a dictator is to overthrow him to over, I mean, it's a drastic move, and you got to be ready. you got to be pumped up and fired up, and you got to overthrow that dictator. I believe for some of y'all there needs to be a new ruler in your body. You need to get a new authority in your life. You've been going too far in the wrong direction. But if through the Spirit you habitually—now, I wish it said, if through the Spirit you do it once and everything's fine the rest of your life, but it says habitually— that means every day got to put the desires prompted by the body away, and then you'll be able to live. Um, um, habitually, it happens every single day, and I was going to say something, and I just forgot what I was going to say. Man, it was so good, too. Oh, what was it? Come on, Jesus. Come on, Spirit. What was it? I can't remember. That's I'm just so drained. I can't even remember what i was saying. Oh, Lord, help me. Daily battle. Okay, number two is this. The flesh must die. In the Bible, it really bothers me whenever people read the Bible or or say things and they use phrases that people just don't understand. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase, crucify yourself every day, die every day. And people think, man, that's weird. I don't want to be a part of that, you know, whatever that's going on there. But it's talking about your soul. When you read the Bible, you've got to remember you're a three-part being, so every time you read, you've got to remember, is it talking about your spirit, your soul, or your body? In this case, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, is talking about your, your flesh, your soul. It needs to die every single day. So how do you kill your soul? Here's how you do it. You starve it. You starve it. You stop feeding it what it wants. And if you'll begin feeding your spirit, which is worship, praise, uh, worship music, praise music, the Bible, um, uh, sermons, uh, devotions, when you feed your spirit, your spirit becomes stronger than your soul and your spirit then takes over rule of your body that day. That's why the Bible says we should meditate on the word day and night because the more we feed our spirit, the more it controls our body. Psalms 131.2 says, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What happens when you wean a child? they throw a fit. They scream, they have a temper tantrum, and they think you're trying to kill them. Don't they? They think that, man, you must hate me. You must just, I thought you loved me and you're taking this away from me. And adults act just like that. If you love me, you'll give me what I want. If you're a good pastor, you'll let me sing on a microphone. If you're a good pastor, you'll let me preach whenever I want to preach. If you're a good pastor, you'll put me in a position where people can see how great I am and use me in a great way. No, if I was a good pastor, I'd tell you to shut up, sit down, and serve somebody. But I love you anyway and not give you what you want. Our flesh desires these things so bad. I have five kids, and on my second one, Zach, he loved his pacifiers. I mean, with all honesty, no exaggeration. I know preachers love to exaggerate. No exaggeration. We had 75 pacifiers in our house at one time. 75. I mean, you could open up a cushion from the couch. There'd be three of them there. You could move the refrigerator out the way. There'd be one behind there. There'd be one inside the refrigerator. Everywhere you look, in all of his pillowcases. And so he used to sleep with a paci in every single finger. And he'd have 10 of them. Maybe eight, 10 of them Latest, He'd have two of them in his mouth. Promise you, two of them. He would. He would <laughs> these pacifiers were so old and nasty, they'd break off. He'd just break <laughs> off and he'd toss it and just pull up another one. So when it came time to take away his passy, he thought we were killing him. He was so upset. So his mom had the idea: we're going to take him to build a bear, and build a bear, and build a bear, and, a bear. and we're going to put the passies inside of the build a bear. That way he'll have his passies, but he can't suck on them, right? And so we went to build a bear. Got about seventy-five passies. We had to get the biggest animal they had. It looked like the thing had tumors all over it. I mean, there were just <laughs> there were tumors everywhere. Stick passies sticking out all over that thing. And so that night, he's got his passies in his animal, and I'm laying down with him like I always did. And I read him his Bible story. I say a prayer. I say, okay, buddy, it's time to go to bed. He said, okay. He said, where are my passies? And I said, baby, you know they're inside your, your animal with the children. I want my passies. And he could feel them sticking out, protruding out of the animal. I said, you can't have it? I want my passies. So I, said, I called his mom. I said, bring me a knife. She said, why do you want a knife? I said, I'm about to do surgery. I said, it's time to give my baby his passies. He wants his passies. She said, don't you dare give him those passies. I said, he wants them. She said, you can't do it. Now, would I have been a good father or a bad father if I had given him his passies? A bad father. I knew it was better for him, for his teeth, for his health, not to have them. And thank God we got through it. Our next child, Eli, and you all know Eli. Eli sometimes speaks at the the 1115 service. Eli, when the doctor told him, the pediatrician said to him, You cannot uh, use your pasties anymore. He thought, Well, I'll just use my thumb. So he had his thumb in there. Well, one night after we told him he couldn't do that, I walk in his bedroom. God is my witness. He's laying in bed crying and he's doing this. I said, What's the matter? I want to suck my thumb so bad, but you told me I can't do it. That's what a lot of adults need to be doing is this. I know it's bad for me. I know it's bad for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. Didn't them. So now our next child, Asher, he loved his Passies as well. So here's what we did with him. We bought 50 helium balloons. We tied a Passie to every balloon. And we told him there were babies in heaven that need the Passies. And so we let him do one by one. I'll never forget that last balloon. I almost reached up and grabbed it just in case. But I didn't. And he turned out okay as well. So the point is, for some of y'all, you gotta wean yourself off of these things that you know you have no business getting involved in. First Corinthians 3 1 says, I couldn't even speak to you as spiritual people, but as babies or men of flesh, so I had to feed you with milk and not solid food. Let me tell you, it's it's really important where you go to church. Really important. Milk of the word is this. You need to get saved. You need to give your life to Christ. Grace is free. That's milk. That's milk. Solid food is things like, listen, you need more integrity in your life. You need to grow in this area. This is right. This is wrong. And our flesh doesn't like those type of messages. Our flesh just wants to hear Jesus loves you, Jesus forgives you, and everything's going to be fine in life. No, it's not all going to be fine. There's things we need to do and steps of faith we need to take. Hebrews 5.12 says, By now, some of you in here should actually have been in a position to be teaching other people. Here's what it's saying. Some of you should have already been promoted. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for so long now. You should have already been part of a church. You should have already been part of a group stepping up, helping other people. But here's the problem. I have to really again teach you the very first principles of God, like join the church and serve and give. The people that love to be shined and promoted, they don't even serve where they're at. How are you going to want to be a leader when you can't even wash the dishes in the kitchen? If that's what we need you to do, and so they're looking for this limelight. And Here's the problem: you still need milk. You're not even on solid food. You know, when I get up here preaching, sometimes I get um, I get thirsty, and um, I, I have my own drink, so it's okay. I, you know, I just um, oh man, it wears me out being up here. All the energy's taken from me, and oh man, I just get thirsty. But anyway, and so where we're at is. <laughs> mm. Mm. Chocolate. This is chocolate too. Oh man. Okay, so Hebrews. <coughs> mm. Give me a second. Uh, I'm curious. Does this look weird to y'all? Yeah. Just a touch. You don't think I look cool? <laughs> y'all say even without the bottle, you don't look cool, but. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Oh man, this is good. Now, if I was two or three this wouldn't look so weird would it but the fact that i'm 40 years old and i'm still sucking on a bottle that's weird right that is so weird okay if you've only been saved two three four years it's fine you need the milk of the word you need to hear about the grace of god how much jesus loves you that's okay need to hear about how you're forgiven you don't need to condemn yourself you need to keep moving forward go to the throne of God anytime to receive help that's fine they make this is anyway and so um (laughs) but when you're been walking with Jesus for 10 years for 20 years and you're still not being promoted you have to ask yourself what is it about my flesh that I'm still feeding what is it about my ego Why can I not just be happy, serving, giving, growing? Why does it always have to be about me, me, me? And, you know, I was thinking, because I thought some people would think, well, uh, how do I know if I'm still on milk? How do I know if I'm solid food? And I I thought about this. One of the ways you know if you're still on milk or not is, is when you're drinking milk, especially out of a bottle, somebody else has to be the one to feed you. In other words, you come into the church or you go, go through life or you're at work or you're at home or whatever and it's all about someone feeding you. You come to church and we have to sing to you. We come to church and we have to help you not get offended. What did we do to hurt your feelings? You go home and it's all about, Honey, I need you to do this for me, this for me, this for me, this for me. And you're constantly having to be fed because you're a little spiritual baby. You suck. You suck. You suck. The way you stop sucking is you start feeding other people and you start learning how to feed yourself. If the only time you eat is Sunday morning, you suck. (laughs) If you go to KW and somebody says, What's your pastor tell you today? He told me I suck. What'd your pastor say? (laughs) Hebrews 4:12. Here's how you grow. The word of God is living and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division. In other words, here's, how you, here's what the Bible does. The Bible divides between what you want and what God wants. It discerns, watch this, the thoughts, there's your mind, the intents, there's your will, and your heart, there's your emotions. It matters where you go to church. Um, the flesh hates this sermon, by the way. If you don't like this sermon, you've got to recognize that's my flesh. Uh, a friend of mine this past week, he called me up, and a good friend of his came to him in tears and said, my 18-year-old son told me, uh, this week that he's gay and he asked my friend he said what do I do about it And my friend gave horrible advice about it and I said he asked me well, what was I supposed to say and so I told him the same thing I'm telling you all today your flesh is a liar your emotions do not tell you the truth When has your emotions ever told you the truth he said well my, my son said he fe- he's been he's felt gay ever since he's felt gay his whole life I said hey not, I feel things I feel, when I was a teenager, I felt like I wanted to sleep with every woman I could. Those are lies. They're feelings. Well, I think this. I have thoughts that are lies. I'm a pastor, and I think things that are unbiblical. You don't condemn them. You say, listen, just like everyone in here, we all battle this daily. Whether it's sleeping with someone of the same sex, opposite sex you're not married to, cussing somebody out, stealing at work, or lying. We all have these desires on the inside. You say, well, then why? This is what I was going to say earlier. Then why did God give us the soul? Because it's a free will. And the whole goal of the free will is for God not to violate it, but to hope that you surrender your life to him daily. Take up your cross. We all have a cross. Everyone has a cross. Your cross is not worse than mine. Mine's not worse than yours, no matter what it is in your life. You say, well, what about being born this way? We were all born this way. We were all born with a flesh that needs to be crucified. We were all born with a spirit that was dead. We all need the Holy Spirit in our life, not just for salvation, but for every single day. Every day we have to do this. I don't care what it is. Well, you feel this way? I feel, do you want me to give in to my feelings? Man, I'd be, I'd be running people off the road if I gave in to my feelings. You may battle homosexuality. You will see me literally run people off the road. You don't deserve to be on the road. You don't deserve to be on the road. That's my flesh. What's yours? You get up here. I'm going to give you the microphone, and you tell everybody what yours is, okay? So I was reading in something I absolutely love. is a, a, a famous professor of psychology at Harvard University named Henry Nowen. Henry, um, he at one point in his life went to St. Petersburg, Russia to the Hermitage Museum and he saw for the first time ever Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. And he walked by and he was an atheist and he walked by and it called his eye. And he began to stare and stare and stare and so for three and a half hours, this professor of psychology who was an atheist sat there and stared at this painting During those three and a half hours, God Almighty in his great love and mercy reached down from heaven, grabbed a hold of his heart, and changed it forever. In that painting, he gave his life to Jesus. Through a painting. Listen, God can use anything. God doesn't just use a preacher on Sunday morning. He can use a mountain, an ocean, a painting. So Henry goes back to Harvard University and he resigns. And he felt this call of God in his life. He spent the rest of his life helping, serving, and working with the mentally handicapped. At the end of his life, he wrote a very famous book. And in his book, he disclosed that he was, in fact, a homosexual. But he said, since that day, the day in St. Petersburg, Russia, I never fulfilled that desire for the sake of Christ. Listen, spiritually mature people renounce their desires daily. For the sake of Christ and pray for his sufficient grace in their life. We all have to do it. All of us. If I can't sleep with every woman I want to, then you can't do what you're doing. We all have a battle that we must face. Number three is this. The flesh must be corrected. It's not enough for you just to not give in. It's not enough for you to just starve it. That, 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 that puts all the pressure on you. That, that's not how grace works. You have to... Correct your flesh with verbiage out loud. This is why we pray out loud. This is why we hear sermons. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, not heard, but hearing. Uh, This is why we put worship music on in our home. This is why we sing and praise out loud and not just have people sing to us because there's something powerful about our words. You must verbally correct your flesh. Say, flesh, this isn't of God, but here's what the Word says. The Lord rebuke you. Here's what we're going to loose in the name of Jesus. You You have to verbally do it. David was the most spiritually uh, mature man, in my opinion, in the Old Testament. I love this guy. Amazing guy. Man of God. But he battled what I'm telling you today. He battled it uh, st- many times in his life. He battled it. In Psalms 42, 11, he actually spoke to his soul. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? The word cast down actually means depressed, to press or to push down. He said to his soul, listen. He wasn't schizophrenic either, just so if any of you are wondering. He wasn't schizophrenic. He was actually talking to his soul. He said, put your hope in God, for I will praise him for the help of my countenance. I want you to see he didn't just talk to his soul. It affected his body. You see the word countenance? That's your facial expression. You know, you're at a party at Christmas time, and you should be celebrating, and you got your family there. But you begin to have these fleshy thoughts of all the things you lost this year and who's not at the party and what kids aren't doing well and what the bills you have, whatever it is. And you're at a party and somebody says to you, what's wrong? The reason they're saying what's wrong is because they can see it on your face. And I'm not condemning you for that because everyone in this room battles that. I'm just telling you, if you will learn to talk to your soul before you walk into that party... It won't, just change, it won't just change your mind, will, and emotions. It'll change your body language. It'll actually affect your very face. In this same chapter, David said, I was so depressed in verse 4, I didn't even go to church anymore. It affected his body so much, his body chose to stay at home, shut the blinds, eat Briars ice cream, and watch reruns of House, whatever you like, CSI, I don't know. David was so depressed, he said, "I I used to go in the house of God with shouts of joy and praise. But man, my soul's hurting so bad. My soul's been in charge of my body, and we're just not doing that today. David was a great man. He faced a lot of battles in life. He overcame a lot of battles. But there was one point which was the most difficult day of his existence. His own son, Absalom, had secretly created a rebellion and they surprised, attacked David while he's in the kingdom. After he finally arrived at what he thought was the last stage of his destiny, he's in his kingdom. His son overthrows him, is trying to kill him, trying to kill his own father. David flees out of the palace with a few of his guys and he's in the wilderness. And he writes my favorite psalm, Psalm 3. He says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? There's so many of them rising up against me. They're all talking about my soul, saying, There's no help for that guy. Man, God's not God can't get him out of this one. David was saying, God, listen, I battled the bear and the lion, and I overcame. Out of every Israelite man in the army, no one would step out and face Goliath, but I did that for you. I was victorious. After that, God, I put up with King Saul for 13 years. I submitted to authority. I had a good attitude, and he was destroying my life, trying to kill me, and I made it through that, and I finally got to the throne. I finally made it to retirement. I finally started to enjoy the last few years of my life. Everything was going fine. But God, I didn't expect this. I didn't think this would happen to my own family. I can take a lot of things, God, but I don't know if I can take this. But the reason David was victorious, the reason he was a spiritually mature man is because he knew no matter how he thought, how he felt, or what his desires were telling him to do, he always knew if he would just talk to his soul, if he would just remind himself how big God is, David had a big old butt. In verse 3, he said, but thou, O Lord, and David liked big butts and he could not lie. He said, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory, watch this, In the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. So I, it, it affected my body so much I was finally able to rest. I laid down and slept. When I awaked, God continued to sustain me. I will not be afraid of even 10,000s of people who sent them. Man, beforehand he was like, God, I don't know what's going to happen and this guy's coming in. Now, if even 10,000s of them are around me, I'm not afraid because thou, O Lord, art a shield for me the glory and the lifter of my head. And that is how you deal with the flesh every day of your life. Every day. Musicians, come on up.